0: Lord Jesus, you give us power to do all things, and Lord, we know that through you all things are possible. We ask now this morning that you would open up the Bible to us, that you would teach us from it so that we would know you better and be able to follow you more. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome those of you who are sitting in the narthex. There are hordes of you out there. It's great to have you here, and... Just a reminder, this is why we're adding a third service in the morning, and hopefully we'll take care of this problem come January. When my brother was six or seven years old, the way he would handle an argument with my parents was to run screaming to his room, yelling things like, You are the meanest parents ever in the world. I'm going to run away and never come back. And then he'd slam the door. He'd stay in his room for a while, and then he'd decide that he wanted to come back. The problem is, how do you get back after such a display? There's no graceful way to do it. So what he would do is, he'd take a pillow, and he'd bury his face in the pillow, and he'd get down on the ground and crawl like a worm toward the living room. (laughs) It was sort of a gradual process. That's how I handle conflict. Sort of run away from it, and then after a suitable period of time, crawl back into the relationship as if nothing had happened. It never works. Right before Jesus is crucified, he prays this prayer, Father, make my followers one, even as you and I are one. We tend to think of the Lord's Prayer as our Father who art in heaven, but that's actually the prayer he taught his disciples. The real Lord's Prayer is this prayer, that we, his followers, would be united and reconciled. But you only have to go a few pages further in the Bible, into Acts chapter 6, and you find the first conflict within the church. And there's been conflict between Christians ever since. It would appear that because of human stubbornness, even Jesus doesn't get all of his prayers answered. Still, unity and reconciliation for his followers is one of the dreams that God dreams for us. This fall, we're talking about what the biblical year of Jubilee is all about. And reconciliation was a big part of that year. Every 50 years, slaves were set free in order that slaves and masters could be reconciled. And every 50 years, all land was returned to its original owners. Because originally, the land had been divided equally. But over time, some people acquired more than others. And God said that's okay. But every 50 years, he wanted people to redistribute the land so that there'd be a new start for everyone. It was was a time where once every generation, rich and poor could be set on the same footing again and could be reconciled to each other. And Jesus says that that's a big part of what Jubilee was about, was this reconciliation between various groups of people. And Jesus says he comes to fulfill Jubilee. And one of the things that would mean is reconciliation. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the master at reconciliation. That's what his whole program is about. He dies on the cross to forgive our sins so we can be reconciled to God and so that we can be reconciled with each other. Even the geometry of the cross is about reconciliation, bringing together the seeming opposites of horizontal and vertical. The promise of Jesus is reconciliation. In fact, Jesus even says that this is the way people are going to know that he's real if his followers can reconcile and be united And as we enter our jubilee year, I believe one of the dreams God would dream for us as a congregation is that we would seek reconciliation in a couple of areas. And the first is this. The first is within the church that we're a part of. Folks in churches fight. We fight over theology. We fight over where to spend the money. But do you know what folks in churches fight the most about? Music. All over the country, folks are fighting about music. I have a friend who had a man in his church who hated the music so much that at one point this guy called OSHA to complain. That's the government agency that oversees workplace conditions. This man called to complain to OSHA that the music in his church was too loud. Now, don't go getting any ideas. So this OSHA guy shows up at my friend's church, and my friend said, this is kind of awkward. We... We've never had a government agent check out our church before. The OSHA guy says, you think you feel weird. You should have heard the ridicule I got when they found out I'd come out to bust a church. We're going to fight. That shouldn't surprise us. The ticket for admission into the church is not that we're perfect. It's that we're messed up and we need forgiving. And messed up and need of forgiveness, people Fight. And in a church this size, there's bound to be someone here who gets on your nerves. That's just sort of a fact of life, right? A Christian writer named Henri Nouwen says that community is the one place where the person I least want to be there is always there. (laughs) Church would be great, except for the people, right? But that's not an accident. Jesus put us together deliberately so that we'd have to work it out. In the other passage that we read, Jesus picks 12 guys to be his disciples. One of the guys Jesus picks is is called Simon the Zealot. And a zealot was a person who advocated the violent overthrow of the occupying Roman army. One of the other guys that Jesus picks is Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. And tax collectors collaborated with Rome to make the taxes as high as possible, rip off their fellow Jews, and get rich in the process. So you have this violent revolutionary and this right-wing collaborator in the same small group. This is the Bible study from hell. I mean, that would be like putting Israelis and Palestinians together. And yet the power of Jesus was such that he was able to bring these two together and make them one in him. We're going to fight. That's what it means to be broken, sinful human beings. But what those early Christians discovered is that Jesus gives us the power to be reconciled when we do. As you know, every year we do a Martin Luther King celebration With our sister church, Mount Calvary, in Seattle. And that's an African American church, and that's about as different from us as you can get. Our theologies are a little different, our music is very different. I remember two years ago the speaker saying, It's okay during the singing to clap on the one and the three, and it's okay to clap on the two and the four. And I remember thinking, Clapping? Who said anything about clapping? I can't even do patty cake. But while we were singing with their choir, there was a woman from our congregation up in the balcony and she had her hands over her ears like this. But she was rocking back and forth, singing as loudly as she could. What a great picture of reconciliation. I don't like this music, but I love these people. So I'm going to sing. Jesus gives us the power to be reconciled with each other. Which brings me to a second place that Jesus would ask us to be reconciled, and that's with other churches. Wherever someone has given their life to the Jesus of Scripture, fully God, fully human, died to forgive us, rose again, is coming back, we're fellow Christians. And God asks us to be reconciled with them, in spite of how we're going to differ over theology, in spite of how our styles are going to differ, and especially in spite of how we might feel competitive with other churches. Maybe this is just the pastor deal, but sometimes when, when I hear some other church that's just knocking it out of the park, I get a knot in my stomach. I sort of get worried. Or when one of our members switches churches, I feel tense, even if they've moved, right? And that's why they switched. <laughs> and I start worrying, and I go, oh, no, those other churches are going to beat us. At what? <laughs> Helping people know Jesus? That would be a good thing, Right? A rising tide carries all boats. If one church prospers, we all do. We are called to be reconciled with other churches. And a third place God would ask us to be reconciled is racially and economically. Historians agree that one of the reasons Christianity grew so quickly in the first 300 years is because they were able to do what no one had ever done, put rich and poor together in the same community, but even more than that, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles and Jews had hated each other for centuries. And the fact that they could get along, let alone actually help each other out, was proof to the unbelieving world that Jesus was who he said he was. One of the fastest growing churches in Northern California is a church where on any given Sunday you will find a wealthy Silicon Valley venture capitalist sitting right next to a homeless person. And every race is there. It's like the United Nations. And if you ask people why they started going to that church, almost all of them say, because where else do you see this kind of thing happening? We may work together, shop together, ride the bus together, but to be in real community with people from other races and economic status, that only happens in Jesus. When those of us who take the name Christian are able to reconcile, it shows an unbelieving world that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And that's reconcile us to God and reconcile us to each other. So how do we do this? How do we get reconciled? Three things. The first thing you have to do is go. You have to go to the person you've got a conflict with. If you've got a conflict, you've got to go to that person. Now, a lot of us have a hard time with this. I do. If I see conflict, I head the other way. Others of us go very well. But to everyone else except the person we've got the conflict with. Right? The problem is between person A and person B, but person A skips right over person B and goes and tells person C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And if Q wants to listen in, that's okay. Come on over. That doesn't help. Go to the person you have the conflict with. The second thing you got to do is you've got to bring something. Just like you wouldn't go to the church potluck without a casserole or at least a tossed salad, when you go to that person you've got a conflict with, you've got to bring a little humble pie with you. That is, come ready to own up to your part of the conflict. Reconciliation can happen only when both sides own their mistakes. Otherwise, you get locked in an argument trying to convince each other who's wrong. You know how it goes, right? Someone hurts you and you feel this compelling need to explain to them in graphic detail everything they've done wrong, right? But what, but that doesn't help because when you launch into them with your list of their faults and their failures, what happens? As soon as you take a breath, right, they launch into you with a sentence that usually begins something like, oh, yeah, well, you. But if someone comes to you and says, you know what? I think I have hurt you. And here's how. And I ask your forgiveness. If someone comes to you and says that, then what happens? Oh, it's not that bad. I've messed up too. I think I hurt you. It is very rare that we are a completely innocent victim. Occasionally. But usually we've played a part in the conflict. Own it. And don't go giving some lame, half-hearted apology... You know, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive that you misinterpreted what I said. <laughs> Not so much. Really own your part. You don't have to get all groveling about it. You don't have to go and say, oh, I'm such a worm, I should burn in the everlasting fires of hell. No, because what's that about? That's about you too. Just simply, honestly say, I did this, I think it hurt you, I ask your forgiveness. Just honestly own it. Now, some of you right now might be thinking, this is good stuff. That person I'm mad at really needs to hear this. I'm going to go get them a sermon tape so that they can come and apologize to me. You know what? You don't control their actions. All we can control is our own. Maybe you need to take the first move. And if both sides own their part of the conflict, reconciliation can happen. Go to the person you're in conflict with. Bring an understanding of your part of the problem. And the third thing is strive for reconciliation. Don't give up until you get it. It may take time. It may take years. But don't give up. If the two of you can't work it out, Jesus says take it to a few trusted Christian leaders to help you. And if even that doesn't work, sometimes reconciliation means saying let's at least agree to stop hurting each other. I won't hurt you anymore. You don't hurt me. I won't speak ill of you. If I think ill of you, I'll offer you up to God in prayer. And maybe in order to protect one or both of you, you're going to need to separate and not see each other anymore. But at least you can stop causing harm. At least on your part, you can do that. Go to the person you've got the conflict with. Bring an understanding of your part of the conflict and strive for reconciliation one way or the other. Now, I know that this can be hard. Some of you have been deeply wounded by others. And this sounds almost impossible. I understand that. My first wife left me for someone else. That hurt very deeply. But over time, I began to realize that I was not the innocent victim, that I'd done plenty of things to hurt her and leave her lonely. And when I understood that Jesus had forgiven me for all of that, it became a lot easier to seek reconciliation with her. You see, I believe this can only happen with Jesus, fully happen with Jesus. The word religion comes from a Latin word that means to retie the severed bonds. And in that way, Jesus fulfills religion perfectly. Because he reconnects us to God. Because he's God in the flesh who shows us what God is really like. And because he removes our sin, which keeps us from God. But he also gives us a reason to reconcile with each other. Because when we realize how much we have been forgiven for... It's a lot easier to forgive someone else. When I was a college pastor in my old church, I got a white-hot email one day from an enraged man who did not go to our church but had heard me preach in one of the main services, and he hated the sermon. He accused me of watering down the Bible and of being an easy-believing, pandering to people's desires, leading the flock astray pastor who was dishonoring God by preaching. It was a very painful email. So, knowing all of the things that I've just preached about reconciliation, I flamed him right back. What else could I do? With lightning speed, my hand hit the reply button, and I typed out a a passionate response, the first sentence of which began, Had you actually been listening? And went on from there. I finished the email triumphantly, hit send, and felt better. Sort of because I realized that I had just hurt him in the same way he had hurt me. But I got over it faster than I should have. (laughs) Three months later, this man emailed me back. And he said, three months ago, I sent you an email that wasn't very nice. And when I got your email in return, I realized how much I'd hurt you. And I'm sorry. And suddenly I felt very small. So I emailed him back and I said, could we get together? So he and I met at a hamburger place called In-N-Out Burgers, which has the best hamburgers in the country. You all have your dicks in your Kid Valley, but I'm telling you, if you can't resolve a conflict over an In-N-Out Burger, it cannot be resolved. (laughs) So we got together and I said, you know what? I was having a terrible week that week and I took it out on you because you didn't go to my church and that felt safe. And I, you didn't deserve that. You just had a passion to see God's word faithfully preached. And I hurt you, and I'm sorry. And he said, yeah, but I didn't do it very well, and, and I think I hurt you too, and I'm sorry. And I said, it's a good thing that Jesus forgives us both because we sure do need it. And then we kept talking. Turned out he was a college pastor too. So we were both college pastors at the time. And we started talking about how hard college ministry could be, how challenging it was. But then he asked me, do you like it? And I started talking about all the friends that I'd made and all the ways that I had seen God work in that ministry. And he said, it's good work, isn't it? And I said, it's very good work. And then we prayed for each other for about 10 or 15 minutes, right there and in and out. It was a holy moment. And it was made possible by Jesus. Because we both knew deep in our hearts that we were both sinners who desperately needed God to forgive us for all the ways that we had dishonored him in countless ways. And we knew that all the ways that we have failed and all the ways that we have been failed, all the sins we've sinned and all the sins that have been sinned against us, every vile and evil thing we've done and every vile and evil thing that has been done to us, all of those things were driven into the hands of a righteous man by a brutal Roman nail. And when he died, he took those things to the grave with him. But when he rose, he left them in the grave where they belong. Where they can't touch us, where they can't harm us, where they can't get in the way of his reconciling love anymore. And this is what Jesus is all about. Because you see, while we were enemies of God, when we had hurt him, when God had every right to argue with us and convince us how wrong we were, when he had every right to punish us, God made the first move and came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and died to forgive our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, knowing that if we experienced that kind of love, then we would be able to love each other that way as well. Where is there a broken relationship in your life? Where might you need to go and stand as sinners at the foot of the cross, confessing your own brokenness, and allow the grace of Jesus to forgive you both, ...and restore your relationship one way or the other. By this, Jesus said, the world will know I'm real. Not that we have great theology. Not that we have a big church. By this, they'll know I'm real. That you are able to love each other. Not that we're always going to get along... ...but that when we don't, we will reconcile. And when we do that within this church... ...with other churches, racially, economically, socially, theologically... When we do that, then a country that is divided between red states and blue states, rich and poor, black and white and everything else, will know that Jesus is real and has something to offer because only Jesus can do all of that. Lord, thank you so much that this is the main thing that you came to do. Reconcile us to God and reconcile us to each other. And Lord, we ask that you help us do it. Help us be reconciled with each other here and then be your reconciling agents in a world that desperately needs it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.